that the name of the retreat is In Your Mercy, very much centered on mercy, and it's very important for each of us to see how love crucified is a gift of divine mercy for the church and the world. So try to be in a state of prayer as much as you can. This is uh, a reflection on how to enter God's mercy. And the truth is that we are totally incapable of achieving salvation with our own good works. We are incapable also of achieving salvation by relying on our emotions, our goodwill, the way we see things, the way we like things. Because if we could achieve salvation through those means, Jesus did not have to come and die on the cross. Only God, through His infinite mercy, can free us from the state of bondage to sin, the state of oppression that we're in, that we don't even know it, but our way of feeling and looking and loving and desiring is profoundly in bondage through sin. Now, our nature is good. Our nature is wonderful. It's created by God. But it has been profoundly oppressed by sin. And we don't even know it. We think we're good, nice people. Sometimes we think, well, you know, maybe the cross is necessary for Hitler, you know. Stalin, those monsters, right, of history. Or serial killers. But I'm basically a good person. I'm a nice guy. I mean, the cross is too much. Do I really need that? And the answer is yes. So before we go forward, we have to realize I'm so messed up that I need salvation. But the good news is that God desires to give it to us. And the question is, how much is he really committed to that? How much does he really want to give it to us? And the answer is, look at the cross. That's how, he, how committed he is. We're so incapable of new life by ourselves that describing this new state of life that God gives us, St. Paul says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor can the heart even understand what God has prepared for us. And yet it has been given to us in the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. But the gift received in baptism needs to be received so that it transforms us. And you know what? That is a whole lifetime. Nobody can say, finally, I have arrived. I am already perfect. The Lord commanded us to be perfect, and that's the goal, because the goal is to become Christ, nothing less. 
And so unless we think we're Christ already done and fulfilled, we spend our whole life opening up to mercy, opening up to grace, saying, Lord, I have to be careful with my feelings, with my attitudes. We start the race and we think we're doing great and we are committed. A little thorn comes and the Lord is calling me to quit. The Lord is telling you, know, I'm called to something else or whatever. Salvation is not just a fix for the old man. The old man must die. If the grain of wheat doesn't fall to the ground and die, it will not bear fruit. My old way of living and thinking and attachments and everything else has to die. But who I am truly will come to life. What God from all eternity wanted me to be will come forth. This new life, therefore, a new life in the Spirit, a new life in community, a new life in the marriage, in families, does not happen by observing laws, rules, regulations, or by doing a set of good things, or by trying to be pious, or wrapping ourselves with holy things. All those things which in themselves are good, in themselves do not save us or transform us. I would say is like the married person who uses a ring. That's a good thing. I, I advise all those who are married, use your wedding ring. But you know what? Your wedding ring does not make you a faithful spouse. It's a sign, but you need to open to the grace of God for it to come. The rosary is not going to make you holy, but I, I advise you to use, have the rosary and use it to remind you to take that step in faith every day and receive the grace of God for transformation. Uh, Pope Francis said, quote, Worship is criticized, you know, in Scripture when St. Paul speaks about, you know, or even in the Old Testament, God does not want sacrifices, whatever. Worship is criticized not because it is useless in itself, but because instead of expressing conversion, it puts itself forward and it thus becomes a quest for one's own justice, creating the misleading conviction that it is the sacrifice that saves, not divine mercy. Not divine mercy that forgives sin. So if I think, because I prayed the rosary today, I'm doing good and now I'm okay. No, it, it's the mercy of God that you open yourself to and now you have to be watchful because you're going to be put to the test and you have to open to that grace to, to live. Remember, the Pharisees did all those good things. They were pious, they were prayerful, they believed in scriptures, they believed that they were with God, they were completely observant, and yet they were the greatest opponents to Jesus Christ and ended up killing him. 
They finally killed God. Why can't our good works and religion practices save us? Because they do not, by themselves, give us supernatural life. They cannot change our heart. We could do our duty all our lives and still not be free from the bondage of sin nor experience new life. And a good example of this is the old brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He was observant of the law. He fulfilled his duties. But he was far from the heart of the father. And the return of his younger brother exposed the darkness in his heart. He resented his father's mercy. And he hated his brother. When we are in this state of oppression where somebody bothers us, we may use some truths to go against him or her, but in that darkness, we extrapolate and then we go into the lies. Even if we did not, just bringing up things that are bad about a brother or sister in this state of darkness is causing division. But he still went further and he says he spent all the money with prostitutes. How does he know how did he spend the money? He has no clue. Unless he was going to the same place that his brother was going which is a possibility, unless that was happening, he had no idea where his brother was or what he was doing. But when we get angry, don't we do that? We start adding insult to injury and we make matters worse. And that's the best we can do in our own resources. Only through the grace of God can we die to ourselves and enter the mercy of the Father. You know, the story of the prodigal son, we always like to take the side of the younger brother. Because we have been sinners, we have left the house, we have done things. But it's also just as important that we put ourselves in the place of the older brothers. That we have been observant, we have been the good boys, we have been doing nice things. And we kind of resent those who have been on the loose. You know why? Because deep inside, we are... They're telling me to slow down uh, to we are jealous because we think, gee, he's doing all the things that I really want to do, but I don't dare do them because I don't want to lose my state of privilege. I don't want to lose my position. But now he's done all those things and he's coming back. No way. When by the grace of God we come to understand that happiness, that fulfillment 
is not to be out there with the pigs like the younger brother was, that happiness is not doing all those things that are in my fantasy. When we understand that true happiness is to be with the Father, everything changes. Because now we experience the mystery of the brother. He wasn't having a good time out there. Living a life of sin is no fun. Is no happiness. Fulfillment, our soul, our hearts were created to be one with the Father. Sin is literally a disgrace, even here on earth. Sin brings you to corruption, to oppression. So if somebody is in that path, we need to experience mercy as the Father does and the desire to rescue, to save, not envy. Gee, I wish I could do that and get away with it too. At the end, the older brother excluded himself from the family and we find out how much he too needed the Father's mercy. We all absolutely need mercy, whether we're in the house or whether we have run away. Now, a little comparison of relying on merits and relying on God's mercy. Can I say something? Yes. To make this a little bit more personal, the prodigal son for love crucified. I think it's very important because each one of us are the older brother. Each one of us has that within us. And so it is very important in the path that the Lord has given us that we come to discover the older brother in us. So I leave you this part. I think it is an important meditation for you to ask, have I opened myself up to see not only the younger brother, I think, Many times it's much easier to see the younger brother in us because a lot of us have maybe done all kinds of things in our life that we've repented, and they're easy things, you know, to know. But the older brother is much more difficult to come to know inside of us. And he's there in each one of us, not just me, (laughs) but in each one of us. And that is an important part of the path that the Lord has given us. In fact, in our path to union, the beginning, which I sent to you recently in an email, the beginning into the sacred heart mentions the older brother. That's the person in us that's the good person, the good girls and the good boys that have lived most of our lives really good 
continue to live our adult life oppressed in this goodness because most of the time we do things to please people, to receive their affirmations, to look good, and that is not a liberated person. That is not a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. The Lord is transforming each of us to become his true disciples, one with him, men and women that can and will speak the truth regardless of whether someone's going to like us or not. And if we're still stuck in the older brother, we're still in bondage. So we need to ask ourselves in this path, have I encountered the older, older brother and how does the older brother continue in my life? So a, a little comparison of the what happens when you are relying on your own merits of having been observant and having been faithful to God versus uh, relying on God's mercy. Um, if, if we rely, even subconsciously, you know, we, we, we all say we rely on God, but then in practice, we think we, we merited it. We deserve it. We've been good, right? So if we are like that, that's what it is to be self-righteous. Self-righteous. You make yourself good on your own resources. So, we really don't depend on mercy. Because mercy is for the miserable. That's where it comes from. Uh, it's, otherwise, it's just friendship. But mercy is only for the miserable. As a result, um, our failures bring us to great fear because we don't know what to do with it. I mean, I'm not supposed to be... How did I do this? So then when we, when we actually see our failures, it brings us into fear and into despair, into self-condemnation. We do not want to recognize our sins. And then when we have successes, they make us proud and even more self-righteous. So either way, we sin. Whether we fail or whether we succeed, if we're self-righteous, if we're depending on our own merits, we're sinning both ways. However, if we rely on God's mercy... In our failures, we can acknowledge our misery, our sin, and trust in God's mercy. And in our success, we know full well that it's also due to God's mercy, because we cannot do anything right on our own. So if we did something good, if we had some merit, thank you, God. Because I know where I would be if it wasn't for your grace. So how could I take any credit? I just thank you for the gift. 
So in either way, it's one of an, a way of life of receiving and accepting our misery and that our Father is embracing us and lifting us up. However, that being said, we must make clear that mercy is not a cover-up. That God does not put a cover over sin to pretend it's no longer there. Well, I rely on God's mercy. God loves me. God forgives me. That's fine. Everything is solved. It doesn't work that way. Because mercy is a true remedy. And the remedy is the cross of Jesus. That's very essential to know. Mercy is the cross of Jesus Christ. We needed to be lifted up from the mud. Mercy is not to keep us in the mud and cover the mud and, you know, like, uh, there are some, uh, Christians who believe that, uh, Jesus covers us with his, uh, God covers us with the blood of Jesus, so the Father sees the blood of Jesus and no longer sees our sins because they're covered. No, the blood of Jesus doesn't cover us, it penetrates us. And it transforms us and takes us out of the mud. Again, this is a lifetime journey, but this is what we're working with. God lifts us from the mud. And, I'd like to yeah. share something here. Yeah, go ahead. As his father's saying this, what's coming to mind is how my conversion, deep conversion in the cross began. What's interesting is that Jesus wasn't covering my sins most of my life. I was covering my sins. And on the outside, I looked really good. I looked like a really good mother, wife, teacher, all the things I was, because I was covered up. I was wearing many masks that kept me very nice and covered, but it was me that was covering myself. I, it was like I just saw the, the Phantom of the Opera with Father Ron in Miami, and he and I were looking at each other in the second act of The Masquerade. I don't know if how many of you have seen The Phantom of the Opera, The Masquerade, and everyone's wearing the masks. We are the ones that cover ourselves then what happened in my own life is interiorly I got to the point <coughs> that without even knowing it, I was as if I was sinking in quicksand, okay? And I was in a mud, and I was sinking. And the Lord began in prayer, through prayer, interiorly, showing me a cross. It was as if a wooden cross about this size was handed to me. And I would see this in prayer. So here's mercy. Mercy was coming to me. But I didn't understand at first what the Lord was doing. It was only when finally, in prayer, I reached out interiorly and grabbed the cross. When I grabbed the cross, 
the Lord began to pull me out of my misery, out of my own cover-up. And what does mercy begin to do in my life? He begins to do what Father has written here, expose the cover-up that consciously I wasn't fully aware of all my masks and all my cover-ups, all the ways I justified my disorders. And little by little, gently, he began to expose and continues till the day I die, exposing, cleaning off the mud, off the thing with his precious blood. So that's mercy. But in order for me to receive mercy, it's interesting because I had to receive the cross. And there begins the path that the Lord begins to reveal to me, which is the path of the cross. It's the path of opening ourselves up to being exposed until we can be with the Lord again, redeemed, washed in his precious blood, naked, 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 without shame. That's mercy. And that's why it is impossible for us to be cleansed with mercy if we don't receive the cross, open ourselves up, allow mercy to expose all our darkness and lies. So Jesus at the cross did not cover up for sin. He exposed it and he defeated it. So when we look at the cross... That's the full revelation of how sick, how terrible sin is. Look what it costs. Look how far it goes. That's my sin. So it gives us knowledge of ourselves by looking at the cross. But the second revelation, and we cannot separate these two, the second revelation is how great is his love, his mercy, that he would do that. So the cross is at the same time a revelation of the truth of sin and the truth of the love that defeats it. Okay? To receive it, to receive mercy, we must allow God to work in us. And this is the hard part. To receive mercy. It's not just say, Lord, have mercy on me. But we need to allow Him to work. And that is when we want to run away. So we tend to minimize the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of the battle that is going on for my salvation. If we realize how serious this battle for my salvation, that Jesus did this, that there's demons really 
lying to me, coming into me, pushing me to work and act in uh, severe ways. Demons are coming at me, but the Lord is with me and He's given me also my guardian angel, right? So we have to realize the seriousness of the battle for my salvation. Otherwise, we end up minimizing sin. And when we minimize sin, we minimize mercy. That means we can only appreciate how great is God's mercy when we appreciate how great is the mystery that He's taking us out of. You see how we trivialize these things? And we make them, well, you know, nice, you know, Jesus, mercy. It's a matter of life and death for eternity. That's, that's the mercy of God. To trust in God's mercy means to not take sin lightly. Just the opposite. In Luke 18, 9, we see the the Pharisee is saying, Thank God I'm not like all the others. I tithe, I pray, I do good works, you know. And we like to do that. We like to exalt ourselves. And, and we go to pray and we feel pious and we feel good and all the good things that we do. But the tax collector says, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's ugly. So I see that, you know. All here, all of us here, we all accept that we're sinners. But remember the leaves. Remember the story of the leaves that Lourdes tells us about? We give those leaves in confession, but the roots stay. What does that mean? I think that means that we all have two sets of sins. The first set is the one that we like to confess, to feel good, that we are accepting that we're sinners, and uh, makes us feel like we've done our job. We accept that we're sinners. The second set is the one that we don't even want to look at, or even acknowledge that it's there, and those are the roots. And I don't want to go there, because that's really painful, and dirty, and ugly. So... I lost my patience, and I wasn't so nice in that with the thing. But the root, the ugliness, stays underground. And God's mercy deals with that. And that is why it's so important in the path to seek self-knowledge. And we'll see a little later that we cannot do that on our own. Those um, sins that are hidden deep within us, when God's mercy sheds light, what happens? The beast of pride blocks the light. We deny it. We justify ourselves with lies and with pious excuses. It's amazing how we want to do what we want to do. We go to a catalog of excuses and we say, oh, this one fits real well here. And, and we have a beautiful excuse that sounds very pious to cover up 
what we really want to do because we can't take it any longer. And there will be a passage of scripture. Remember that Satan is very proficient in using the Bible. When he tempted Jesus in the desert, when he saw that Jesus was recurring to scripture, then we see Satan also recurring to scripture. Because the Bible says this. So be careful how to use, we use the word of God so it doesn't become another mask. When we are in turmoil, we have to know that we're in turmoil and distinguish it from peace. So what happens when light comes into those hidden areas of sin in our lives? The beast of pride comes to defend that darkened area so that the light does not go in. And we see that happening over and over and over in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters when we do accompaniment. We must cooperate with mercy. Divine mercy gives us the power to embrace the cross of Jesus. That's mercy. You know, I can't embrace the cross of Jesus on my own. So what, is the, what does mercy mean effectually in my life? That now I have the power to humble myself. I have the power to embrace the cross. You know why? Because I know that I am loved. I know that I am loved and therefore... I am not afraid any longer to see my dirt, to see my misery, to acknowledge it, and to do something about it. And with God's mercy, with the, this, like the mercy of God is also like a sword, and with that sword of mercy, we slay the dragon of pride. So, humility is the key. We have to uh, discover our pride when we don't want to budge and slay the dragon of pride. When the dragon of pride is slayed, is killed, then the light comes into those dark recesses and we can change. And yet, we are all free to do this or not to do it. To pretend we're pious and cover up ourselves with a lot of religiosity and not go to the cross of the matter. Because slaying dragons is not my favorite pastime. Especially when that dragon is my own pride and is very difficult to do. So, recognizing ourselves sinners is mercy. It's an immense grace. Without it, the most we can say is I'm just limited. I make mistakes. My brothers and sisters, sin is not a mistake. Sin is a sin. And we are guilty. We have done something that we should not have done. And it was not an accident. Because if we say it's a mistake, well, it's it's not my fault. You know, we all made mistakes. Or it's an accident. We have to accept responsibility. So... The most we can do on our own resources is to acknowledge that I'm limited, that I make mistakes. But recognizing oneself as a sinner is something else. It is to look at Jesus crucified and allow Him to show us 
are missing. I'd like to say something here also, that one of the things that I have come to, to understand in living our path is that it is not even enough for us to acknowledge that we're, we're wounded and to come to know our wounds. Um, one of the differences that I have seen in what the Lord has taught us and maybe to some counseling and, and therapy and, you know, healing programs is that actually we can intellectually understand our wounds so well, but we can stay most of our lives even knowing our wounds and understanding our wounds and psychologically ana analyzing our wounds. And we can remain there. But the reason that the Lord brings us into our wounds because our wounds keeps us in a state of disorder where we are not able to receive the mercy of God to be transformed through his death and resurrection into the healed, transformed men and women. And when we speak about our sins, the reason it's so important to come to know our wounds and put them in the wounds of Jesus and suffer them with him is because most of our sin is rooted in our wounds. And most of our sins, the devil is able to manipulate us and bring us to sin through those wounds. So that is why we cannot just know our wounds and we can't just analyze our wounds. But we have to see the seriousness of them and suffer them in Jesus, through him, with him, and in him, in his woundedness, so that that transformation can take place in, the, in, in each of us. That's very important to add to the notes here in that line there. It's um, joining the, what we have come to admit and recognize, not just keep it in the intellect, but enter into to this union with Christ and sufferings. Uh, yeah, one, I'm sorry, Father, but one of the things I, I put up is change our hearts. I keep saying love crucified is the school of the heart. And I find very few people willing to enter the school of the heart. I find it is very comfortable to be in the school of the intellect, in the school of the mind. And the mind is very important also, but I can't tell you how many people I speak to, men and women, that can speak to me so intellectually, so medically, so analytical of their own condition of their being, of their woundedness, and yet they have not entered their heart. And so they, even knowing all these things, they continue stuck in that same pattern without being able to get out.
and therefore the transformation of the person is in the heart. And love crucified, the path that the Lord has given us is the school of the heart. And this is why it's so important to go with Mary to the foot of the cross and learn from her to be moved by this act of love of the cross. Because Mary made it her own. Mary lived, she did not intellectualize, she lived the passion of the Lord with her entire being. And that's very hard for us to do. So we go with Mary. You know, you saw the, the, the movie about the passion and you see Mary and you see John there. John is soaking it up. John is learning to be a man by looking at Jesus through the eyes of Mary and entering into being one with Christ. And what does the cross reveal? It reveals the, the reality of, of, of my sin and the reality of God's mercy for me. So that I can suffer and repent and, and detest my sin from the heart. And I can also in the heart join with Christ, receive the cleansing, the forgiveness, the strength of mercy. If we have... So you see the cross, uh, you see that sin is a, is a serious cancer. It's a cancer, right? So if we have a cancer, we are not healed by intellectualizing it or by receiving soothing words from the doctor or encouragement from the doctor. That's nice, you know, but it's not enough. It's not even enough to visit the doctor or the hospital frequently. We must submit ourselves to surgery and other treatments. So sometimes we just want to have the ambience of the hospital, you know what I'm saying, in religion. But don't touch my body, right? Don't go into surgery. God, as a good doctor, shows us mercy by doing surgery. And we all need to be submitted to some real difficult surgeries. That's why the word trust is so great. Because if I need surgery, I need to have a lot of trust. So true mercy is painful. It is demanding. Because God wants our all. It's not a fix. It's a new man. It transformed man. And that is painful and demanding. And I tell you again that at some point, we've seen it over and over, you will say, or we tempted to say, enough. And then find a good way out. Okay? So, we want to run from the cross. And by doing so, we run away from mercy. You can't separate it. 
If you run away from the cross, you run away from mercy. If you run away from the surgeon, you're running away from, from hell. We want to avoid the suffering of being stripped out of our way of life. Who doesn't have this problem? I don't want to be stripped of my own way of life. We don't know what's coming. We just have to have faith. So we find excuses and lies. We find good things to do to barter with. Lord, I'm not going to go this way. I'm not going to have the operation, but I'm going to have this, this herbs. You know, they do that in nowadays. Herbs. I'll do these herbs, you know, and, and uh, this will be fine, right? You know, and uh, so we, we do good things to do what does not require the surgery. And I can keep on doing my way of life. Now, are you ready to give it all for Christ? Right? Yeah, I'm ready. And I will say, stop and be real. Examine, right now we're going to take a break, the trivialities that irritate you against your neighbor. I give my life for you, Jesus. And then a little triviality, a little nothing takes you, unsettles you. Your eagerness, think about your eagerness to control. You know, I have everything under my control, right? To have everything as my way. How do I behave under criticism? How I murmur and say, I'm just letting steam off, right? So I'm saying, I'm destroying a sister or brother, but it's just to let off steam, right? Pope Francis says, there are many Christians who do not want God's mercy because they suffer from a narcissistic illness. That means that you can do so much into yourself uh, that you can be you can you can be so much into yourself that maybe you prefer your wounds the wounds of sin and you prefer your own lies than reality you have become so attached to your wounds and to your lies that you become so narcissistic about this that you don't want God's mercy to work I think in that sense, this week we had the gospel of the man that was, um, he couldn't walk, and he'd been waiting to to get to the waters of the... Bethesda. Okay. The, the pool. The pool. Um, and it said there were five porticos. Porticos. And he, I, you know, I've always been thinking, he waited, what, it was 30-something years, they said? 38 years. And he still can't get there? I'm thinking, wow. Yeah, they're five porticos. You know, couldn't he have asked to get some help to get there? Five porticos. Five porticos. As Father actually was reading that gospel when I first got here, all of a sudden listening to it in the chapel, I realized the five portico are the five wounds of Jesus. It just came to me. And I realized that man is each of us. How many, how long have we have been stuck with our woundedness, crippled 
because we are literally crippled in our woundedness, and we kind of know it, but we really don't go all out to get into those, you know, the cross, into the wounds of Jesus, into those healing waters to be healed. Because we really, we know it's there, but how much are we willing, how hard are we willing to to get into those wounds? And I realize that this, what the, the Pope is saying, this isn't someone else, it's each of us. And in this community, you cannot remain in this community. I'm being honest with you. I've seen many people come and many people leave. And only the ones that are truly willing to enter that portico into the wounds of Jesus, into his wounds, and really, really allow him to truly heal us, will remain here to truly become his victims of love, into union with God. And that's the truth, my family. And that's why St. Louis de Montfort gets to the end of his life practically with no community, writing the last letter of his life, the Friends of the Cross. And at the end of his life, St. Louis de Montfort, so devoted to Our Lady, he comes to the sad realization that still, the friends of Jesus crucified are very, very few. So we close with this, uh, this, this thought of the Holy Father. He just said this recently about this narcissistic illness, which is pride. That's the beast, right? That has become so used to our woundedness, to our fake holiness to our mass that we just don't want to give it up. And he says, but that makes that person bitter. And you know what happens when we become bitter? We we become um, false victims. Oh, you know, I'm a victim, you know, how terrible life is, you know. And that's the opposite of what God wants us to be. We don't make ourselves into victims. And he says, there is an unhealthy pleasure that people get out of being bitter or being angry. Because we feel like if we give up or angry, we are letting go of what happened. We are letting go of what happened. Somebody insulted me and I am angry and I don't, get, I don't let go of my anger because somehow I feel that by being anger, I'm holding on to that injustice. I'm not going to let it go. So how can I just not be bitter after what they did to me? And um, so we can get stuck in those kind of things, in that, what he, in this narcissistic illness. And yet, at the same time that we don't want to let go, we keep on saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And that's amazing. <laughs> you know? So you can, you can do the chapel of mercy every day saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But I'm not going to let go of my anger or my this, you know, or we stuck. So this is what is to be living in a lie, you know, and this is what we have to face. So we end with that.